Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. I have a Patreon page. If you're inclined to contribute to keep the podcast going, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash danmullins or danmullinsmusic.com. You might consider buying me a cafe con leche per month to help keep the podcast up and running. I do an exclusive concert for my patrons on the first Sunday of the month here in Sydney, and I do it via Zoom, and my patrons log in from all over the world for a once-a-month gig just for them. It's Saturday night in the Northern Hemisphere. I spoke last week with the Irish pilgrim Audrey Eager about friendship and making and keeping friends around the world. One of the great things pilgrims do once they arrive home to keep the pilgrim fire burning is to join their local Camino chapter. Well, I've been lucky enough to spend time with Australian friends of the Camino and American pilgrims on the Camino groups. Wonderful people giving their time and their love to support one another, to provide advice, to encourage, to provide company, to motivate. There are online groups too, virtual groups, and groups like my old friend Mick McQueen, No Vino, No Camino. (laughs) It's about staying in touch. And let's face it, touch is something many of us have missed most in isolation. So reach out. If you're new to the podcast, this is a weekly discussion about El Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk for inspiration, adventure, to find the real them dwelling within. They carry just the basics to find something they didn't know they carried. Perhaps it's something that has weighed them down for years, Perhaps it's something they didn't even know they were carrying. Or perhaps they want to leave something behind. Well, the Camino community will help them. Pilgrims will help them, no matter where they're from or what they're hoping to discover. Jodie Picoult wrote in her book Second Glance, Heroes didn't leap tall buildings or stop bullets with an outstretched hand. They didn't wear boots and capes. They bled and they bruised. And their superpowers were as simple as listening or loving. Heroes were ordinary people who knew that even if their own lives were impossibly knotted, and maybe that one act could lead someone to rescue you right back. My friend Amy Horton wrote to me this week about a pilgrim she walked with at her local chapter meeting at St. Louis in the United States last week. She told me about Matthew Merton, a fellow American pilgrim who has a unique story to tell. Matthew's on the line. Welcome, pilgrim. Well, thanks for having me. Glad you uh, have this service for everybody. It's great. It's a pleasure. I absolutely love it. I, I really do love it. I want to ask a very simple question. What is it, do you think, about the Camino that makes us shine? Makes us shine? Well, it's an experience that you can't really talk to anybody else about unless they've gone and done it. Hmm. It, it's it's a unique experience. Like I in my youth, I was in the Navy, United States Navy, on a submarine, and I couldn't explain that either. And you can always tell somebody who's gone to the Camino, and they come back, and they have this series of stories to tell about how small miracles happened to them while they were there. And when they try to explain that to people who have never been there, it's very difficult. It's like there's this gap of understanding, but if they so we meet in our little meetings and have our little hikes and share what we experienced, and yeah, there is a shine there. Mm, mm. There's like this grin, yeah, 
there's this there's this smile and there's mm. this nodding of the head yeah this knowing yeah. this knowing isn't it the knowing yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just I want to get to your caminos, and it's a great story because it's a your pilgrimage is a kind of a different way, and you've you've really shaped it to suit your needs, which is very important and very interesting. But just before we get there, are you someone open to a sort of spiritual life? Is religion or spirituality part of your everyday life? Uh, I became spiritual somewhere around uh, twenty four, age twenty four, and I'm fifty eight now. And um, yes, and I have walked away from it, and I've come back from it. Um, so the Camino did hold a spiritual, um, oh, like a homecoming for uh-huh. me, in a way. I, I met a lot of people with incredible faith when I walked there. Did you, t- uh, was that a slow discovery of that faith returning to you on the Camino? Was it something you took as an intention, or was it um, all of a sudden it dawned on you? How did it come about? Well, well as part of my uh, my getting to the Camino, I have to talk about walking away from my higher power. Um, I, at a later age of my at later part of my forties, decided I'd had enough of my higher power, and I was going to go do things on my own. So I actually went looking for an addiction. <laughs> and I found one. And for about five years, I lived a dual life. I was married to a really wonderful person, my best friend I ever had. But what I was doing was uh, hurting her. And when I was exposed once, uh, she forgave me and stayed with me and tried to help me and and let me help myself. And I wouldn't. And then I was exposed twice. And then finally, the third time, I I crossed over a line that was even legally bad. And she had to separate herself from me. Um, it was the look in her eyes. Now, to me, it looked like hatred when, when uh, the final time. Uh, it may not have been hatred, but it looked that way. And it was that look, and I still see it in my eyes. That was when I hit my bottom. That was when I realized I have really had to ask for help. So I did. I did ask for help. And I... Uh, I, uh, I got me a counselor, a therapist. I started attending the 12-step meetings, and, and uh, I had a bunch of accountability partners that I would call every day. And, um, you know, you're working these steps, 1 through 12. And while I was working on my first one, I jumped to 8 and 9, which are the make the uh, list of people you've hurt and make amends to them. Those steps, I jumped on those, and I had a group of people I had to get to those right away. And my therapist, my counselor, my mentors, everyone agreed, okay. I had to write the letters and send them to these to my these people, my counselors and everything. First, they all okayed them before I actually sent them to the people. Because I was in no mental or emotional shape to just do this on my own. I actually had to be taught how to communicate again. And so the, the, everyone would help me out. It was just wonderful. And what I really wanted was to make amends to my wife, who was in the process of divorcing me. And that was a real higher power for moment for me when I finally figured out what it would take, and I was able to do it. And I worked diligently at this, this uh, uh, forgiveness part, not looking for forgiveness from her, but just maybe developing a modicum of trust between us again. And 
what I did was forgivable, but not livable. So we had to be separated and divorced. That's it. And I came to terms with that. And I realized I'd really crossed over a bad line. Well, I didn't have any legal problems. It didn't turn out that way. Um, but uh, part of what you have to do when you go through recovery is very important is you've got to exercise. And somebody at work suggested uh, these obstacle course races that we have here in the United States. We call them Spartan races. Oh, yeah. So I started running around in mud and, and under barbed wire and, and throwing a spear and, and climbing a rope and doing all these really crazy things. And uh, it was like the 11-year-old boy in me really had a fun time. And the, you know, 40, uh, 53-year-old in me suffered. But it was the most fun I've ever had being miserable. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I completed a trifecta by the age of 54. I'd done three races within a one-year period. And I was starting to go on another one. I was going to do another one when everything went wrong. Um, my back, my lower back went really bad. My very uh, next race, I barely made it through it. And I began to seek medical help when after three weeks, I couldn't walk without limping. And it turns out, yes, I had major issues with my lower back. And uh, so I started going to pain specialists and to chiropractors and to anybody to help me out because I really wanted to, to continue but it, no, I couldn't do the Spartan races anymore. And just at that moment, the person who I had hurt the most communicated with me that she was going to go to Spain to hike this thing. <laughs> Amazing. A Camino, a Camino de what? You know? <laughs> and so she told me it was a pilgrimage. And, and I, I know she has spirituality in her background. We shared a lot of that when things, when I wasn't screwing off and walking away from my God. But the idea of a pilgrimage was, was foreign to me. And, and I had no desire to leave the United States at the time for such a thing like that. Um, just a way. But she convinced me to sit down and watch the movie The Way. So there I am at work. It's really dead at night. Me and another guy, we're sitting there watching The Way, and I get about halfway through with it, and I hear my higher power calling really loud, pulling me. So I stop the movie. I look at my coworker, and I say, you know, next year I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and he says, what? I go, I'm going to go hike this thing next year. You are? Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, okay, what's going on here? And so I continued watching and started the movie back up and got all the way through it. And I knew, okay, this is, this is, I got to do this, but I don't know how. I can't even walk a hundred meters without limping. I'm in sorry shape. Yeah. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I was being pulled there. There was something pulling me there. And I thought, well, this has got to be my hard power because this is very strong. So I just, uh, I, I pressed on. Um, the MRI that I got done looked really bad. No one could help me out, but I pressed on. Uh, and by the time I'm starting to really hike maybe four miles without anything on my back, and, and I'm still in pain, um, it's getting hot outside. 
And here in southern Illinois, when it's um, what, 70% humidity at 21 Celsius, my lungs don't do very good, and I, I, get, I just can't exercise. And it goes way above that in, the, in the, the humidity here. So I started looking for a cooler time to hike. And that's what got me started. I started, well, maybe I'll do it at night. So like maybe 9 o'clock at night, I'll start hiking around. But it still wasn't cool enough. So what I'd do is I'd fall asleep and I'd get up somewhere around midnight or, or 2 in the morning. And I'd get up and I'd start hiking around my town then. Wow. In the cool of the evening. It was all because I don't do humidity very well. And so I got used to that. And I learned how to use poles to take care of any pains I had from my neck. And uh, I kept a journal. And it was my pain journal because it talked all about my pain that I was going through trying to train for this thing. And somewhere in... September or October of that year, and I had started hiking in uh, March. So six months later, I had a 20-pound pack on my back, and I was hiking 15 miles at a time, and it dawned on me I hadn't written anything in my pain journal for two weeks. So just pause there for a moment. So this is six months of walking often in the middle of the night. You've gone from a couple of miles to now walking, did you just say... Eight miles? Fifteen. Fifteen miles. That's like... Yeah. That's cra- That's like 25 Ks or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, um, and and was, you were doing it each day? No, no. Oh. No, I was only doing it when work and schedule and whatever would allow. So I see, at right. the most, I might be hiking two days a week okay. at the most, at the very most at this point in time. Uh, and when the back pain disappeared... That right. back pain went away for an entire year. Wow. Yeah, and, and I don't know whether it was the backpack, the weight in the backpack, whatever it was, maybe just the continuous pushing through and walking. But here I am, I, and I should be really crippled, and I'm not. And suddenly, I'm up to uh, hiking 22 miles at a time and carrying a 35-pound pack for practice. Ah, it, it was just... Um, in a way, it was miraculous. For me, it was really miraculous. And so, okay, all right, I'm ready to go. I, one day, I, uh, one week, just before, about two weeks before going, I hiked three days in a row, and each one over 20 miles a day, and I thought, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And I did all this hiking when it was dark. Amazing. So, you get to Spain... And as I understand it, you begin your Camino, but in a, in a very short amount of time, y- you started to have a lot of pain and things perhaps, oh. perhaps didn't go as planned once you, <laughs> once you stepped onto the Camino. Am I right? Yes. And this is where it becomes spiritual. Because when I was doing all that training during the summer at night, I was using it as a form of yoga. I was hiking and trying to focus on my breathing and focus on each step I took because yeah. the pain went, most of the time was so severe, it, it would make me sweat. And I was trying to use things that I had learned from yoga and I, I, I adopted the Wim Hof method of breathing and cold treatment to try and help me out. And so I, I started doing Wim Hof breaths 
while I was hiking and trying to use it as a form of yoga. And in the process, I really had these long conversations with my higher power where I didn't speak and my higher power didn't speak. It was just silence. There was no thoughts about uh, two seconds ago. There was no thoughts about the future. There was just this present moment. And can you imagine five hours of hiking and you could get about two to three hours of nothing while you're doing it? And, and maybe that had something to do with my healing. I don't know for that moment. Um, but when I got to the Camino, I'm on the bus trying to get into uh, uh, to St. Jean, and I, I meet this young man from Germany, and we start talking, and unbeknownst to me and him, there's a young lady behind us. I, I say young because she was, you know, 20 years younger than me. Anyway, uh, she's overhearing our conversation, and she wants somebody to hike with. So by the time we get off the bus and make it to where the uh, Camino begins, we're a trio. Right on. And I'm thinking, hey, this is kind of cool. But the thing is, I was going against my training. I was going uh, against my spiritual guidance. I joined two other people and began doing someone else's Camino. And so they were sleeping in till, you know, seven in the morning and getting out on the trail at eight. And I had to walk through the heat of the day. And it's and it's uh, it's late April and early May, and I'm not doing so good. Um, and, you know, at first it seemed harmless, but within five hours I got my first blister ever, and and two days later my knee swells up, my right knee, and then and then a couple days after that I get something that's just it's embarrassing, but it happens. I got hemorrhoids, and and that was making me walk odd, and so now I've got in a. Uh, three or four days later, I've got the other ankle on the other side swelling up. And I'm limping around, and I'm not doing very good. And uh, I, I wasn't even out of uh, Navarra. Right. Navarra. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even out of that. And I was already limping with every step. And, and this is somebody who could hike 20, 22 miles uh, and, and not have any pain, no blisters or nothing. I mean, I just physically fell apart. Within within uh, less than a week, amazing. On the, on, and um, plus, my uh, comrades were in a hurry. The young man from Germany had to be home by a certain time, so we were trying to cover a whole bunch of ground in a, a given day. And I was walking so slow; they'd have to go ahead of me, and I'd have to catch up. And uh, and I kept getting lost all the time. See, my Camino. Uh, I did the Francaise, of course, and it's uh, 900. I did. Uh, it's supposed to be 800 kilometers. I did about 900 kilometers. I, I spent about 100 kilometers getting lost and then finding my way back oh, to the Camino. No. I was, oh, I was terrible. Uh, I don't have a really good sense of direction, and I have a tendency to want to daydream all the time. And if I don't focus, I will walk right by all the signs and just keep going la di da until my my path ends in the middle of a field. And I realized that there's nobody around me. No. Oh, my gosh. I got to turn around and do it. The longest one of those was about uh, about eight kilometers before I realized I had gone the wrong direction. So you had to turn around and walk back another eight. Yes. So 16 Ks yes. on top. Wow. Yeah. And it, and it was really hard because I was it, it, I was in a lot of pain all the time. <laughs> and, and But what else? Something else. Something else that was happening. Uh, Dan was uh, 
I was getting unsolicited advice from total strangers. Um, they would come up to me, and sometimes they were pilgrims, sometimes they were shop vendors, sometimes hospitaleros. They would pull me aside and say, are you hiking this alone? What? Uh, no, I'm, I'm with two other people. Well, I think you should be hiking this alone. They would come up and tell me this. Really? Um, they'd see me with my friends, and we'd all be laughing and having a great time, and then they'd pull me aside and say, you shouldn't be with them. One person also said, God is telling me to tell you, you shouldn't be with those people. No. You need to break away from them. Really? I'm not kidding. It happens That's every amazing. day. Yeah, sometimes three times a day. And, and they, most of the time, they didn't even know that I was with somebody. They just got this message, man, you got to be hiking alone. And uh, I, I didn't listen. I just thought, you know what? I, I really like these people. I'm getting a real, along really well with them. And I'm just in pain and, and things are falling apart because I don't know why. You know, I don't know why. I was in the best shape of the three of us when we started. You know? Yeah. And so... Uh, about just about halfway to Santiago, um, I was hiking along one day, and we're in the Meseta, about halfway through the Meseta. And I'm in this really beautiful place, and, and I'm walking by this beautiful river and this grass all around it, and I can see mountains in the distance, and there's snow on them, and oh, the beautiful blue skies and the puffy clouds, and, yeah. and I realized that I didn't enjoy it. And I had a third, I had a fourth pain now, my jaws. The jaws of my mouth, they were sore from gritting my teeth because I was in pain all the time. And I realized I needed to stop. So I pulled off in this little town, oh, about 10 kilometers before Carrion de los Condes. And I got there and I was in tears by the time I sat down and I found the hospi hospitalero and uh, she, she was talking with me and I was trying to check in. I really wanted to take a shower. It was, it was just before noon. And uh, I pointed to my knee and she looked at it, oh dear. And then I pointed to my ankle, she looked at that, oh dear. And I really didn't feel like telling her about the hemorrhoids. <laughs> And so she said, look, I'll get to you in a bit. And she came back about a half hour later and um, had me get up and walk. And when I got up and walked, there was blood all over the cushion of the chair that I had been sitting on. And she just, oh, my gosh. Okay, okay, we got to go take a shower. And she just took care of me and tried to do some home remedy things. And uh, then she told me, look, you're done. There's something wrong with your knee. You, you need to rest here for a couple days, and you need to fly back home. Wherever it is you live, go back, because this is going to require surgery. And I was just heartbroken. And I just sat there crying and crying. And she just gave me a hug and turned and walked away. And I was done. Uh, I was in so much pain. And... Uh, I managed to get on my phone and tell the other companions that where I was and that I was done. And they turned around. They were about three miles, the three miles, three kilometers beyond. And they turned around and came back and stayed there one night with me just to check it out. And they realized, I, I you know, he's, he is actually in pain. So they, they continued on the next day. And I stayed there for three days. And 
during those three days, something odd happened at this little uh, albergue we were at. It was it's the one with the teepees and the donkeys walking oh, yeah. around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the uh, Amanaser, Amanaser, Albergue Amanaser. It's kind of like a hippie commune. Yeah. It's really, it's really cool. They had hammocks, and that's what I did for three days. I laid in hammocks and I read novels, and I tried to tried to get better, and I didn't. And there was a group of people, about 12, 15 other um, pilgrims that showed up there about the same time, and all of them were just wasted. It looked like they were, for one reason or another, not going to be able to complete their Camino. And we all hung out for three days and got to know each other. And one of them was a guy named uh, Matthew from England. And, um, and, and we, we kind of hung out together. And one day on the third day, I told him, I said, look, I think my higher power is telling me I got to continue no matter what. So I'm going to try tomorrow. I'm going to hike to Carrion. It's, it's 11 kilometers. I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. Yeah. And uh, so I got up and I did my get up at three in the morning, get out the door by four trial. And I got there and it was painful every step. It was it was tolerable, though. And I decided, okay, I'll contact my, my companions and I'll meet up with them. And they were by this time in Lyon. So I took a bus the next day to Lyon. And even while I'm sitting at the table, waiting for the bus to show up to, to, draw, to have them take me 100 kilometers to Lyon, I'm sitting at a table with three Catholic nuns and they're all telling me I got to break away and hike on my own. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a... It, Go on, go on. So you're waiting. So, yeah, go on. So, yeah. It's amazing. So I, I go to Lyon, and I hike with uh, my companions another two days, and that was it. We got to Astorga, and by this time, I had a fever. I had a uh, 102 fever. Uh, I was coughing, and I was spitting up brown stuff and oh. blowing blowing it out of my nostrils and it was I was and I had the pain in my knee and the pain in my ankle and the hemorrhoids weren't any better. I was just an absolute mess and so I told him I'm done. And and I, I, I um uh, I know it bothered them that I was I was just saying I'm done. I've got to do this on my own another way. And that's what I told them. I've got to do this on my own. And so in Astorga I decided that's it. I've got a hotel room and I checked in for uh initially for three nights because i didn't know how long it was going to take me to get out of this yeah, fever yeah. this flu and that night the first night it broke my fever broke and i felt really dizzy the next day and so i walked around town and i learned where things were and i sat down in front of the castle that uh, the two castles yeah and uh, stared at the one made uh, that was designed by Gaudi, yeah. not knowing it was Gaudi. And I mm. thought it looked like uh, dark butter, and I wanted to go over and eat it. Uh, <laughs> I was really delirious. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> and, uh, where you were sitting. I know exactly that place. Yeah, it's a beautiful yes, part of the world. And, and up comes Matthew from England. He had taken a bus. He was trying to catch up with me. Because um, he, didn't, he, he, he would just wanted to tell me something, but he was so sick. He had gotten that flu thing, too. And he was delirious. So I said, okay, I took him back to my hotel room, and he crashed out. He slept almost 24 hours. Gosh. Yes, this thing was bad. This thing was really bad. And um, 
so I decided while I was sitting there, uh, and then I went out again, and I looked around, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try it again, but I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to do this the way I trained. And so I went back to the room, and I crashed out, and I was waking up, and I was going to, I got myself all ready to go. We had two beds in this room, and I was going to just leave a note for Matthew uh, and tell him that, hey, I've left. It's, you know, I'm getting up at two in the morning, I'm out the door at three, and I'm going to try hiking in the dark by myself. And before I could get the note started, he wakes up, and he rolls up, and he says, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving now, but, you know, you've got the room for two more hours, two more days if you want it. Just, it's already paid for. Oh, God, thank you, because I'm miserable. He says, but I wanted to tell you something, and I haven't told you yet. What was it? When you got up and you left that morning, back at the commune place, um, people noticed you were gone. And I was the only one that knew that you told that you told you were leaving and you were going to try and hiking. You're going to try hiking again. You're, and you want to know something? Over the next two days, all these sick people that were done and are making plans to go home reversed their, their thoughts and now they're back on the Camino again. <laughs> There you, you were an example, man. You were, you were the one. They well, if he can do it with that bad knee, I can do it. Oh, that's fantastic! That kind of yeah, yeah, it was really cool to hear Matt say that. I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, wow, that's really great. And so I got up and I started hiking every day. At first, it was only like you know, ten or eleven kilometers, and 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 then I was, but oh, as time went along my knee started to get better and the hemorrhoids went away and the right ankle started to heal. And then somewhere along the line, I figured, you know, I'm going to get rid of these hiking boots that I'm wearing. And I had these hiking sandals that I brought just for when I'm not hiking. And yeah. I started hiking in those. And within about oh, a week, my blisters were all healed. And um, I was hiking faster and, and farther every day. Um, and... I, what I was doing was I returned to the way that my God trained me to do it. And I got well. What I'd do is I'd get up, uh, some nights I'd get up at, uh, at 3 a.m. and I'd be out the door at 4 a.m. And, and when I started doing this, it was the three days before a full moon and three days after a full moon. So I didn't need my headlamp and it was blue outside and it was gorgeous and it was amazing and I don't know if it's because of the Milky Way or what, but I've never seen like that. I could see mountains in the distance, and they were in blue. Everything was in this beautiful blue. It was, it was amazing. Um, <laughs> I got to see wildlife. I got to see wildlife on the trail um, because they come out at night. Uh, yeah. There were so many things about it, about that Camino for me at night that were so amazing. And it's kind of a challenge because you really have to pay attention to where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it would be. And guess what happened? I stopped getting lost. <laughs> <laughs> it was because the darkness was forcing me to pay attention. That's And great. I was alone, so there was no distractions. That's so yeah. great. So in many, yeah. in many respects now, listening to you tell this story... Your Camino, in many respects, has been also the story of your life. Yes. Yes. And there's a bonus. There's a bonus to this, which makes me want to go back and do the Camino again 
and do it exactly this way because what I would do is I'd get my hiking done by 10 or 11 in the morning. And I'd have a, an albergue already set up with a reservation. And I would show up at that albergue. And, of course, you're not supposed to check in until, what, yeah. 2 or 3 in the afternoon yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, I would show up, and I would do my best Spanish imitation. Hola, como estas? Eh? Bien. Uh, mi nombre es Matthew Merton. Y, um, uh, yo tengo una reserva for, por uh, un cama esta noche aquí. Uh-huh. Of course, that really sounds ridiculous to somebody who speaks Spanish. But that's, you know, oh, oh, really? Uh, you know, they'd speak back to me in Spanish. And, of course, I'm like understanding half of it. But I get the idea. Well, we can't really let you in now because, well, it's not time for it. Yeah. Oh, see. Well, and then I ask, uh, puede pongo esta mochila allá? And I'd point to somewhere inside the thing. Can I leave my backpack here? I'm, and I'd say, oh, estoy muy cansado. Uh, camine uh, 35 kilómetros este día. I'd, already, I'd tell them that I'd already hiked 35 kilometers a day and I'm tired. And they'll look at me like, you hiked? And now they're, they're where, where did you hike from? And I would tell them. And then, when did you leave? And I would say, oh, I left at 2 this morning. I'm, I'm, done. I'm done hiking today. <laughs> where, where are you from? Now they want to know. Uh, Adivina, I would say. You guess. Oh, of course, it always went Germany. No, Alemania. No, no, no. <laughs> Canada? No, 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 not Canada, no. They don't now. Well, I'd say Los Estados Unidos. No, you know they they can they didn't it didn't make the connection with them. Here's a, here's a guy who's actually trying to learn how to speak Spanish and and stumbling around, but not ashamed. And and he's very nice. He's he's asking questions and not demanding anything. Yeah. And well, that was it. Sentate, you know, you, you sit here, you sit here. They pull out a chair for me, and, and then five minutes later, come back. You're ready. You're ready to go. <laughs> That's great. They would they would make my room up or my bed or make sure that I had a place, and they would tell me where it was. And 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 what I would do from that point on is I would take my shower and get dressed in the clothes I would be wearing the next day, of course. And um, then I would go out and I would research the little villa or the town or the city that I was in. And I would find out where the pharmacies were and the, the shops and where um, all the other albergues were. And find out when they were doing siesta in that town and, and compare it to the hours of all the other services. And then as I'd find lunch somewhere and eat it, and then I would find the cafe closest to where the pilgrims would be coming in, and I'd sit there and I'd watch their body language, and I could tell the people who were, hey, this is the place where they have their albergue and they're going to stop here. And I'd walk up to them because they'd be looking around for signs. <laughs> look, they always look up. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would walk up to them, and, and uh, I'd say speaking English first, and, and no, no, and I try Spanish. And if we could find a way, a way to get to Spanish going, I would help them find their albergue, and then let them know where the, the the shops were, and when they were open to, how long they were open, and when they would open after 
the siesta and uh, the pharmacies. You need a pharmacy. And I was, I was like a tour guide. And I did this every day. That's <laughs> this so, was the bonus. What a great was, story. And you, was, it was so much fun. Yeah, and you would have been it, able to share so much information with people who really needed it. You, you were helping, you were giving, you were sharing and caring. That's yes. a lovely part of being what, something, a lovely thing to be able to do. And so I would, I would do that until I'd eat dinner and, and try to get to bed by 7. I'd try to find a if, – if I had to get a room uh, with, uh, with people in it, it was always uh, uh, four beds or less because I was going to be waking people up when I got up. And um, so I didn't want to disturb everyone else's sleep. Like when you're in a room with, you know, 50 people, getting up and getting out of there, you're going to wake people up. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, you, they don't go to sleep until like 10, and I need at least five hours sleep. Three, I need three full REM cycles to, to, to be okay. And so I, uh, I found myself, when I'd get roommates, and when they'd show up, I'd say, okay, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to be going to bed at 7. And if you could, you know, keep the noise down, I prom. And while you come in here and get ready for bed, I promise I will do the same for you when I get up at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It worked. Both of us were really conscientious of this, and it was worth all that effort to get to see the look on somebody from like Korea, yeah, or Japan. Where, where English is the only common language they know a little bit about on this thing. And I speak it fluently, and we kind of get the idea, and I can help them find their albergue or an, a pharmacy. And, and they're so grateful, so grateful. Fantastic. And then I go turn around, and I go looking for the next person, the next pilgrim or group of pilgrims. And it was... It was a lot of fun. It, and so it was a lot of fun. It's, it's just such a lovely story because only days before you were thinking, well, I won't be able to, to, I'm going to make my way home. And now here you were making such a lovely contribution to the lives and pilgrimage of all these other people. It's such a great, great transformation, isn't it? It's a, it's a transformational story. And again, yes, again, was. I go back to the, your, your whole story, your life story. It's a great transformational story. Yeah. And, and by the time I got to San Diego, San, I keep wanting to say San Diego, doggone it. Um, <laughs> doggone Santiago. <laughs> yeah, San Diego, California. Um, by the time I got to Santiago, my blisters were healed. My knee was healed. My ankle was healed. And, I, and the hemorrhoids were gone. And I, I went and got my Compostela. And I stayed one night. And the next day I got on a train back to Lyon. And that was on a Saturday. And then Sunday morning, I, I could, there were no trains or buses going out of Lyon. Sunday shuts down, yeah, you know. Yeah. I had to get back to uh, Carriando de los Condes. So I took a cab. It was one of the most expensive cab rides I've ever paid for on a Sunday morning. And I got to Carriando uh, de los Condes, which was the last place I had hiked. And I hiked the last hundred kilometers back to Lyon so I would do the full thing. Wow. Because I, I had skipped a hundred. And by this time, I'm in such good shape 
that my last full day of hiking, I did uh, 30 miles, which is almost 50 kilometers. Wow. And I was, I was just flying along and just having the time of my life. And what I did, because my, my little uh, credential was already you know, stamped and filled out to San Santiago, I took my um, Compostela with me, and I brought that out every time I checked into an albergue, and I had them stamp that. So I've got three stamps on my Compostela from the last three albergues I went through oh, in wow. those last uh, 100 kilometers. And I finished my, my uh, Camino in Leon. Oh, wow. And the next day I went out, I got a tattoo. <laughs> it has, it's, a, it's, the, it's on my ankle of the leg that had the problems. And it's the blue and yellow conch shell symbol. Yeah. Pointing forward. And there's one word underneath it. Ultrea. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story, Matthew. Holy smokes. Hey, I, I wonder though, here we are. Now, what what day and a month or year was it that you were in Leon to finish? When was that? That would have been the very last day of May, I think. Of this year? No, this was 2018 when this oh, happened. Oh, 2018. Okay. Yes, this is before COVID and all that. Yeah, right, right. So, so, so how does the transformation that you experienced in Spain... Uh, manifest itself in your day-to-day -day life back in the United States? I was always one that made plans and pretty much finished what I started. But there were certain things I quit in my life. I just quit. And I had a history of that. And Ultrea is tattooed on my leg now. If I want to start something, I don't quit it. I, I keep going. I just just keep going. Just keep going. That yep. is what I learned in the Camino. And the other thing I learned is it's okay to do your own thing. Mm. You don't have to. If you feel like you got to go hike the Camino alone, hike the Camino alone. If you feel like you got to do it at night, hike at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder, do you listen now? to other people's advice? Yes, yes. Well, I started doing that beforehand, but I never applied it to such a thing as, well, a pilgrimage, you know. I had, I had strangers coming up and telling me yeah. what I should do, giving yeah. me unsolicited advice, and I didn't pay attention. Guess what I do now? I'm, I'm hearing from my God through people who don't even believe in a God. Huh. <laughs> isn't that isn't that amazing? That's a wonderful thing. Wow! <laughs> and I know it's wow, and I know it's beautiful. my God speaking. I know it's my God speaking, and I, you know what? I'm going to do that now. <laughs> I hear from my God. I'm going to do that because you know what? what? I recognize that voice, and so you know that is that's fantastic. that's very important. I hear from and, my God through people who don't even believe in God. Yes, and. I talked earlier about meeting people with great faith. There was this woman from Ireland that was going from village to village, town to town, city to city, and she was stopping at every church building. It didn't matter what the church was there for. She was stopping at every church building, every cathedral, even ruins that used to be a church, and she would spend five minutes there at each one of these, 
praying for her son who was struggling with an addiction. This is what her um, priest at her uh, told her from home in Ireland. Go do this. Go do the Camino and go do this. So her Camino was very long. It took a lot of time to do that. And it was very purposeful. And I, I didn't get to see her at the end of it, so I don't know. So on a scale of 1 to 10 or 0 to 10 on faith, and where 10 means you're, it's just incredible amount of faith, I would put her somewhere around a 7.5 to 8. That was just amazing what she was doing. Yeah, yeah. And I would put my own somewhere around a 4 to, four, four to 5. Right. But the people who peaked at 10 were the people that were there who said there was no God. There's no spirit world. Those people had a lot of faith. Because how do you explain what was going on all the time? Um, I'm, I'm in the dark one night, and I need to go to the bathroom, and I'm like five kilometers from the next toilet. So I, I have paper, toilet paper with me, and I climb up this hillside, and I go do my business, and I get lost on the way back, and I can't find the trail. <laughs> and then I, and, and so I'm, I'm doing this moving this scrub brush out of the way to try and find this trail and stuff. And I look down and something shines in my, in my headlight and I reach down and pick it up. And it's this package of shoelaces in a plastic and cardboard packaging. I don't need them. So I stick them in my pocket. About four hours later, I'm up on this, I pass through another town and I'm up on another, like a plateau or something. And there's this woman sitting on the grass She's got her backpack completely emptied out on the grass like she's searching for something. And just, she's just sitting there bawling her head off. And I, I ask her what's wrong. And I think she's, from, she's French because, you know, she had an accent and the English wasn't that good. But she pointed, pelled up her, her hiking shoes, her only pair of shoes. And their laces had been tied in knots so many times from them breaking that now they were broken and she couldn't wear them anymore. And she had these huge blisters on her feet because the way she had been walking in these shoes with no shoelaces. And I couldn't understand why you didn't just buy shoelaces. And, and she, she holds out her purse and there's nothing in it. <laughs> there's no money. <laughs> she's broke and she's on the Camino. And I went, oh, my gosh. Well, I reach in my pocket, and I pull out this brand new <laughs> package of shoelaces. And you want to know the miracle? They are the same exact color pattern and size of the originals. No way. That's I great. I kid you not. That's great. And I gave her, I don't know how many euros. I, I gave her like 40 euros and said, here, Buen Camino. She just hugged me and cried and sobbed and thanked me. Uh, and then I walked on and I went, God, you're really cool. This, if, if people can go do that experience and not believe that there's something there pulling the strings, yeah. they have more faith than I've ever seen. Yeah, great story. That's fantastic. So what now, yeah. now that you're home, it's, it's over two years, what do your friends and family make of it all? What do, and what do, what do you make of it now? Um, I haven't really discussed it a lot with friends and family. It was, like I said, it was really difficult to, to, to explain it and, and talk about even the shoelace thing. Mm. 
which was an obvious, wow, but, but what, that's really cool. But what about your wife? You, I don't well, have a wife. No, you're, 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 yeah. yeah, but your ex-wife who, who went there and gave planted the seed for you oh, to yes, eventually walk. Yes, we will, we will sit now and we will talk about the Camino. Um, when when we uh, when she uh, when we run into each other or or visit when she comes by she, um, she still has friends in this area she moved out of the area and she'll come by and, and visit and and uh, you know we'll spend about an hour talking and we will discuss the Camino all the time and um, so yeah it's not like um, is she pleased for you I have a whole group of people I can talk to unless I go to the the American Pilgrims meeting in St sure. Louis and. and Meet those people and talk about it. Is your wife pleased for you? Your ex-wife pleased for you? I think yes, yes. She, uh, she. Well, you'd have to talk to her about it. <laughs> we all lead such complicated lives. What did I you know? What did you learn about yourself on the Camino de Santiago? That I could still do any anything I put my mind to. But I need help. I can't do it alone. I really need help. And I need to listen to that voice, the voice of my higher power. I need to pay attention to that and attend to that. Um, for instance, I was planning on going back to the Camino next year. And this year I was supposed to be walking my daughter down the aisle. She lives in Canada. And... COVID-19 happened and that wiped everything out. So she has to postpone it till next May, which is when I was going to be going on my Camino hike. So that put a kibosh on my hike. But at the same time, I'd been training since I got back to do another hike. I will put in, oh, maybe 400 miles of hiking around my town at night every year to keep in shape. And suddenly my back went out. And this time it was worse. And last year I had another MRI. Now I've got five bulging discs. And I've got two vertebrae with, with uh, severe stenosis. And I've got, and I've got facet disease in, in three of them. And, and it's gone down to my sacral lower back. And, and then there's this thing in my neck too, a bulging disc there. And I, I was just, and, I, and my knee, you know what? It, it, it it started to swell up again. And so I, I, I didn't want a surgery on it, but I did some stem cell shots on it, and it seemed to do the trick. It was a lack of cartilage. Right. And so I did, did that for my shoulders because they were beginning to hurt. I was just a mess a year ago. But I still hiked. I still went through all the pain and everything because I knew there's something at the end of this. And then COVID happens, and I'm like, okay. But the voice of my God kept telling me, continue to work out, continue to hike. You got something coming. And so I continued hiking all the way through COVID-19 here in the United States, hiking at night around my town. And then about oh, three months ago, two months ago, I met up with the uh, people from the St. Louis chapter of American Pilgrims. And I heard about this trail that goes across the state right next to mine. It's called the Katy Trail. It's an old railroad trail, 230 miles long, that they've filled in with gravel. And people ride their bikes on this thing, and they hike it. And I went, perfect. Because it goes through little towns. Mm. And there's beds at these little towns. (laughs) 
and I need a bed at the end of the day. So I began working on that. Um, two days ago, I, I did 20 miles, which is how many kilometers? Um, 32? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly 32. right. Yeah. I did 32 kilometers. And when I got done, my back didn't hurt. It stopped hurting again. In the last three months, it's gone from, gee, I'm limping all the time to, hey, my back doesn't hurt. And I start in three weeks to go on this Katy Trail. It's happening just like last time. Wow. I'm getting close to the trail, and all of a sudden, the pain goes away. So I thought, okay, what can I do that's so special about this one? And then I got a fundraiser idea. I will let everybody know that I'm going on this trail. I'm going to hike anywhere from, you know, 150 to 220 miles or something like that. And if they'd like to give 10 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents a mile, uh, I will take the funds and I will give them to these people that are on college campuses and doing ministry to, um, uh, it's a Christian organization, and what they do is they help people that are going to college deal with the transition. And they befriend them, and uh, the stories are great. Um, I was going to commit suicide, and I got invited to this meeting, and I went, and then I didn't want to kill myself anymore. I had a group of people that cared for me. And I'm like, oh, yes, I've got to be a part of that. So I've, I've been supporting them for a couple of years, and I'm going to use this Katie Trail hike as a fundraiser for these four people that I support. And it's, 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 it's like helping people out. I've got to connect helping people out with this or else it's all, it, it's just not, it's only half there unless I help somebody. Well, how do we help you? How do we sponsor you? I don't know yet. I haven't even got the email out yet. <laughs> well, you, you must let me know. You must let me know. And, and, and I'll let all of my listeners and followers know. I have just one last question. Uh, it's, pretty sim- it's pretty straightforward. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? I say it's a lot of work, and it's difficult. But you'll never meet a friendlier group of people than the pilgrims. You'll never meet people who are so helpful and so kind and so open to hearing different things um, about life. Um, it's the people. Oh my gosh, it's the people. The hospitaleros, the the locals, when they see you walking by and see your shell and they yell out, Otreya! <laughs> and they're so, they're so supportive yeah. of you. Oh, the locals were beautiful. Um, I never felt scared the entire time I was on the Camino. And here I am walking around at night. Um, in the dark, you would think I'd be. No, I'd never felt scared. I never felt threatened. Um, there's just a very peaceful thing about it, but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. What would you say to somebody who's listening now, thinking of walking? Train. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've met people who showed up without doing any training, and they usually didn't make it very far. So it's important. Unless you've got like six months to do it in, it's good to get a get a jump on it and get get up to the point where you can at least do ten miles in a day or yeah. whatever that is kilometers was uh, sixteen yeah 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 sixteen like yeah sixteen kilometers in a day if you could do that with a with a backpack that's you know a train with a uh, ten pounds more than what you're used to or what you're going to be carrying on the Camino figure that out first and then try and work your backpack up to that that helps and the other thing is. You don't have to have a reason to go there other than that you feel like you're supposed to. You don't have to. I went there and I had no idea why I was there. I, I didn't know. I just knew that I was supposed to go do it. Um, other people did have ideas of why they were there. And then you talk to them three weeks later when you run into them. And that kept happening. You keep running into people that you know. Um, they found out that the reason they thought they were coming there was not the reason why they were there. Now they have discovered what it is, and then they'd tell me about it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And I met people I met people at first, you know, because uh, you you're allowed to talk about spiritual things on the Camino. Yeah, yeah. You, you can talk about anything. Yeah. I could talk about my hemorrhoids, and people wouldn't get bothered. Um <laughs> <laughs> I met a guy at the beginning who, when we were talking, he said, uh, I don't believe that there's a God. And then the reason I'm here is because I, I watched this comedian and um, he had this video and we watched this video and he talked about being on this. So I thought, you know, that's what I'll do with two weeks of my life. Well, I run into him three weeks later. He was only supposed to do it for two weeks. Well, he called in some more vacation and he says, I've changed my mind. There has to be a universe or a God or something that's pulling all these strings because I just can't stop hiking and I see miracles every day. Such a great line. Such a great line. Matthew, I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing your story, talking with you and sharing this last hour. Uh, I, I, I want to say keep walking and the reason I, I want you to keep walking is because so many people benefit from the effort that you make and, and the unique story that you tell uh, to have overcome such, such hardship when it was in many respects self-inflicted makes it even, yes. it makes it an even greater accomplishment, I think. Yeah. That, you had to, you had to prove to yourself that you were worthy of healing yourself. Ooh, that's a good line. Damn, that's a good line. You, well, we, and now you have. So what an extraordinary achievement. What an incredible thing to have done, man. And then to take that energy and give it to other people is just wonderful. It's just wonderful. And to hear, you, you know, you have, there's an energy in your voice when you're telling this story that you can't even believe you're telling this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, I can pilgrimage. tell. <laughs> I know. Pilgrimage. What's a pilgrimage? Who would want to do a pilgrimage? Know. You know? Here's a guy working in a power plant <laughs> midnight to dawn, watching a movie with his pal and says, I'm going to do that walk. And, and sometime down the track, He's standing in a town square in a Spanish village 
telling people from all around the world, here, go, this is where you should stay. This is what you need. The pharmacy is over there. This is where you'll find balm for your problems. I think it's wonderful. It's just a great story. Well, I mean, I and often... There's another, there's another vision I have in my head. We're, when I was with my trio, we were walking around and... Uh, we came upon a field of flowers. There, there always seemed to be these fields full of agriculture, and these were flowers, yellow flowers. Sunflowers. And about, oh, 15, 20 meters into this field, there's a young man standing there with a backpack and a shell on the back. And we're wondering, what's he standing in the middle of this field? He's not moving. Is he okay? So we kind of crowd over towards where he is, and we call out to him, are you okay? And this young man turns around, and he's got tears pouring out of his eyes. His face is wet. And he says, I've never been this happy in my life. And he turns around and looks at the field. <laughs> That's so great. What a beautiful place to finish our discussion, my friend. What a beautiful way to finish this interview, which has been inspiring and fascinating. And I really want to say to you, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Matthew. I've written here, I hear from my God from people who don't believe in any God. And I just think that's amazing. It's such such a great line. So listen, thank you for your time. Walk on, friend, my friend, and, and we'll catch up one day. I hope our paths will cross. In the meantime, buen camino. Buen camino, and thanks for the work you're doing here, Dan. My guest this week, Matthew Merton, an American pilgrim with an amazing and unique story. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Jodie Picoult wrote in her book, Second Glance, Heroes didn't leap tall buildings or stop bullets with an outstretched hand. They didn't wear boots and capes. They bled and they bruised, and their superpowers were as simple as listening or loving. Heroes were ordinary people who knew that even if their own lives were impossibly knotted, they could untangle someone else's, and maybe that one act could lead someone to rescue you right back. I hear from my God from people who don't believe in any God. doesn't get any better than that. Thanks for your company this week and every week. And until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere 